0: Um, I'm super thankful to be here with you. If this is your first time at RUF, a special welcome to you. If you've got a Bible, we're going to look at Psalm 120, uh, which is just what SK so graciously read for us. Um, This semester, we're looking at this portion of the Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. And it's a collection of Psalms. It's about 15. Um, And it's these songs that God's people in the Old Testament would sing is they made a journey from wherever they lived up to Jerusalem. And they would go up to Jerusalem for these three holy days and feast every year. Um, And this journey they made was by and large on foot, right? Because, you know, not only did they not have cars, but they didn't have horses even. They would make this trip by foot Um, to give you a little bit of context. It would be like if you got up from your seat right now and walked to this ski resort on It would kind of be that sort of trip going up to Jerusalem. And these psalms, these psalms of ascents were songs that the Israelites would sing on their journey and they would do it for a couple different reasons. They would do it out of excitement to be with God's people, excitement to be in God's house, to be in the temple. Um, they would do it to prepare themselves for the feast, right? Um, I think often that when we take road trips, We get on Spotify or Apple Music, if you're that kind of person. And you create a playlist, right? And you use it because you're excited. You want music for your journey. Um, Christians, like the Israelites of the Old Testament, are on a similar journey. But instead of going to Jerusalem, our destination is the new heavens and the new earth. Right? Instead of going to Jerusalem, being the city where God dwells and then going back to their homes... We, if our faith is in Jesus, we're going to the place where God dwells and we're never leaving. But with that being said, you might be wondering how Psalm 120 fits into all of that. Because the passage we just read doesn't feel like something that you would sing in your car on the way to the beach. It actually feels like a downer. right? Instead of being full of excitement, we wonder where's the excitement in this at all. what I think the Psalm highlights and why I think the Psalms of a sense starts here is it highlights the fact that we can't begin a journey to the place where God dwells unless we see we have a need for something greater, right? We need to see the world. We need to see ourselves clearly. We need to see clearly before we can begin this journey. Um, Fun fact about me, I wear glasses. They're real, right? They're not fake glasses. Um, And I didn't wear glasses as a child. I got them as an adult, as a college student. Um, And so I was a college student. I would sit in the front row because I couldn't see what was happening. And for months, maybe even years, I tried to deny that I couldn't see anything. I would sit in class. Everything was foggy. It was weird. So one day I finally admitted to myself, I have a problem. And I went to the eye doctor and the eye doctor said, yeah, you need glasses. Like you can't see anything, which is good to know. And so like a good millennial I went to the eye doctor, I went online actually, and I ordered glasses on the internet, which is my favorite thing to do in the world. And these glasses showed up at my house. And when I put my glasses on for the first time, I was amazed at what I could see. Um, and I put them on and I got in my car, which is probably not the best move, and I drove and I drove by a Bojangles, right? You guys <laughs> familiar with Bojangles? And the sign at Bojangles was so clear It had been like I had never seen a Bojangles sign before. It was like it was in 3D. I thought I could see clearly, but until I had something to show me that I couldn't see clearly, I didn't realize how bad my vision was. But once I could see clearly, it changed the way that I saw the world around me, especially Bojangles. So if there's anything I want for us to see tonight, it's this. You and I can't follow God without first seeing the world around us clearly, and we can't follow God without seeing ourselves clearly. And when we see clearly, we should respond by turning to Jesus in faith. So tonight, we're going to look at two things. If you're a note taker, this portion's for you. We're going to see two things. We're going to see that Jesus helps us understand the world, and we're going to see that Jesus helps us understand ourselves so Jesus helps us understand the world. Jesus helps us understand ourselves. So let's hop right in. Jesus helps us understand the world. But through Jesus, we're enabled to see what's true about the world that we live in. Um, look at verse two with me, if you've got your Bible or your phone out. The psalmist writes this, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. The psalmist, he's crying out to God to be delivered, and he's specifically asking God to deliver him from the things that are around him, right? He says, deliver me from the lying lips. He wants to be delivered from lies. He wants to be delivered from the deceitfulness that's around him. Again, verse five, we see something similar. The psalmist writes this, woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech and that I dwell among the tents of Kadar. It says, too long I have dwelled among those who hate peace. Um, the people of Meshach, the people of Kedar are not like geographically close. What he's saying is I live around people who act like God isn't real. I, I live around people who disregard who God is, who reject God entirely. So what's clear that the psalmist is saying is that he's looking around and he sees a world that is full of lies. It's full of deceit. It's full of people who live like God isn't real. And the world we live in is not different from that at all because we're constantly bombarded with lies. We're sold a bunch of lies. And when we buy into these lies, we realize that these things that the world can promise us could never deliver on what they actually promise. Here's a few examples that I was thinking of while reading this. One lie that we're sold or we're told rather is that we're told that our worth is found in our work. And what happens when we buy into that lie? We become workaholics, right? We put all our effort into school. We neglect our friendships. We grind, right? We completely, we stress about our grades. But because we think our worth is in our work, when we fail a test or if we make a C in a class, we spiral, right? We are emotionally unwell because we think our grades, we think our performance, we think what we do reflects who we are. Here's another one, we're told if I find the right person, I'll never be unhappy again, right? So we download the apps, we go on the dates, we swipe, and we eventually find someone that will agree to be in a relationship with us. Um, But what happens when our happiness is tied up in another person, really there's two things that are bound to happen, We either feel obligated to continue the relationship when it goes south because we think our happiness is tied up in it, or this person, unfortunately, breaks up with us and we're shattered, right? Because we're putting so much stock into this thing, it can never hold it. Ultimately, the lies, the deceit that this world is filled with is what the Bible calls idolatry. We think we can rely on worldly things to fulfill us in ways only God can. And we're told that making the appropriate sacrifices will get us the desired results rather than trusting that God will actually give us what we need and rather rather than trusting that God will actually give us good things. So when the psalmist looks around, seeing the lies, seeing the deceit, seeing the disregard that his neighbors have for God, it's clear, right? He wants something better. He wants to get away from it. What Jesus offers us as Christians is completely different than what the world can offer us. The world offers us an endless grind so we could try to be on top. But Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The world offers us endless opportunities to find our own fulfillment. Jesus offers us fulfillment in himself through knowing him. The world offers us slavery to sin. Jesus offers to free us from that bondage of sin. Jesus gives us the freedom to see the world for what it truly is and live in a way that reflects what's really true about the world. And what he does is he opens us up to see first that God created the world and he created it and it was good. But because of Adam's sin, once sin entered the world, it was cursed was broken by the fall. It's still broken. But Jesus also helps us see that we have hope that when he returns, he's going to make all things new. And that includes the world. The brokenness of our world will be restored. The curse will be lifted when Jesus returns. I was an RUF intern at University of Florida uh, many moons ago. Um, some of y'all, if you've been here long enough, have had an RUF intern, other, some of y'all are like, I've never heard of that. And that's okay. But I worked at the university of Florida kind of as a guy under the campus minister to care for the dudes in the ministry. And if there's anything that happened at the university of Florida that I helped guys with, it was, I helped guys break up with their girlfriends. And some of you, some of you are sweating when you hear that right now. That's not what I'm here for. Okay. It's not what I'm here for, but that's what, that's what happened a lot in Florida and there was this common, this common thing that would happen is where I'd meet with guys and they'd tell me about their girlfriends and they would be lying through their teeth about how they felt about their girlfriends. And it was obvious they didn't want to date them. And so I would, at some point, when I felt like we knew each other well enough, would say something like, hey man, you, you don't seem like you really like her and you don't have to date her. And they would sit for a few minutes in silence and they would say, you're right. And then they would go break up with their girlfriend and their girlfriends did not like me. And I I don't blame them, right? What I was trying to do with these guys is just to invite them to see what's really true about what they're feeling about this relationship that they're in, but also give them the freedom to act on what's true, right? Jesus invites you to see the world for what it really is. It's beautifully created by God. It's marred by sin it's expectantly awaiting Christ's return. And when Jesus works in us and he shows us what's true about the world, we're able to see the idols that it offers us and we're able to trust Jesus to give us what we need. We're able to long for the day that Christ makes all things new. And so since Jesus gives us this freedom to see the world clearly, we ought to ask ourselves, how am I willfully blind? What are the worldly idols in my life that I'm refusing to see? We need to see that the things we're chasing in our lives because the world tells us that it'll bring us comfort or prosperity or security. We need to see those things clearly and we need to turn away from them. We actually need to trust Jesus, trusting that he will give us what we need. So what does this look like for you? Here's one example, Um, maybe for you, you just think it's success. You think success is your key to happiness. You think if I land that perfect job, if I make enough money, I'll be secure. I won't want for anything. So you spend all your free time. This is, this is an odd example. But if, if success is your thing, then what do you do? You ex- obsess over it. You get on TikTok and you watch all those successful looking guys who tell you what to do and you try to emulate them. You convince yourself that you don't need to rest. You convince yourself that you don't need friends unless they can help you get somewhere. So what does it look like to turn away from that idol? It looks like resting, if that's you, right? It looks maybe like being a friend to your friends for the sake of being a friend, not to get something out of it, right? It looks like looking to Jesus and seeing that your worth isn't in your success, Right? And turning to him and asking him to forgive you and to give you new obedience to follow him. So Jesus invites us to see the world around us clearly. Um, and so we might see the ways that we trust the world more than we trust him. But that's not the only thing I think we see in this psalm. Right? We need to understand the world clearly. but This brings us into our next point. We also need to understand ourselves clearly. Right? Jesus opens our eyes to show us what's true, not only about the world, but he shows us what's true about ourselves. Look at the first verse with me, if you still have it up. The psalmist writes this, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. The psalmist is crying out to God. He's crying out for help. And there's two things about just this verse that I wanna invite you to see with me. First, it's that the psalmist is crying out to God because the psalmist knows that he needs help he knows he can't do it on his own, that he's weak, he's needy. He needs God to come in and rescue him. And second, we see that God hears the psalmist, right? It says, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me, right? It's, he's saying that God answered him, God heard, God cared. And there's something really important I want to draw your attention to with this. The psalmist isn't crying out to help for these worldly things that we just discussed because he thinks that he's a good upright person and that he's afraid of being corrupted, I actually think the psalmist is crying out to God because he knows that there's sin in his heart. He knows that lying, deceit, idolatry, all live in his heart. And he knows that it's only by the grace of God that he can be aware of that at all. And we're in the same place as the psalmist. And it's the bad news is that we are also sinners, you and I both. The default setting of our heart isn't good, like some people try to lead you to believe. It's not even morally neutral, right? It's not even good nor bad. It's actually really bad. It's sinful. We're morally corrupt, right? Because of Adam's sin that we see in Genesis, we inherit a sinful nature, right? There isn't any part of us that's not corrupted by sin, And that means that we aren't simply drawn to disobey God by the things that are around us. Like we're not just corrupted by things outside of us, but actually our own hearts are bent towards disobeying God, right? Our hearts are bent over to do what we want, over what God wants for us. And what I want you to see with me is that left to ourselves, we would never see what's true about us, is that we're sinners. We would never see that on our own. All right, we don't have the ability to see that. But it's only through God working in us that we can see that we're sinners and we can see that our sin actually separates us from God. But the good news, right, that was all bad news, but the good news is that when God reveals to us that we're sinners and when we see that we don't measure up to God's law, we actually see that we have a great Savior in Jesus. Because Jesus left the comforts of heaven to take on human flesh. And he came to live a perfectly sinless life. He came to fully obey and perfectly obey God's law. And he took the punishment that you and I deserve as a result of our sin. So that when we place our faith in him for the first time, he unites himself to us. And he gives us the righteousness that he earned by perfectly obeying God's law. And then what becomes true of us if our faith is in Jesus? What becomes More true, we can even say, is that we're redeemed. What becomes true of us is that we're adopted into God's family as sons and daughters. What becomes true of us is is that God is making us a new creation. He's changing our hearts. He's changing our desires to honor him. What's true about us is that in Christ, we are more loved and we're more cherished than we could ever imagine. In Christ, this is what's most true of us. Um, I grew up in a house where I wasn't allowed to watch Harry Potter, but I'm married to the beautiful Liz in the back. You should meet her later. She's, if you, if you like, maybe like me, you'll really love Liz. Um, and Liz, you know, very graciously introduced me to Harry Potter, I think when we were dating. Um, and there's this scene that always sticks out to me uh, in the first book, which I have read, but mostly I've seen the movies. So in the first book or in the movie, um, Harry is this kid who's never been cherished. He's never been loved. He lives in the cupboard under the stairs, which is like a closet for uh, us Americans. And he lived with his aunt and uncle and they treated him poorly his whole life. And so weird things start happening. Owls start delivering mail to Harry. No one really knows what's going on. And then Hagrid, this like giant wizard, shows up. And he tells Harry something that is crazy because it's something that's true about Harry. And to Harry, it seems unbelievable. He sees Harry and he says, Harry, you are a wizard. And Harry is like astonished. And he tries to deny the fact that he's a wizard. He says, I'm not a wizard. I'm just Harry. He denies that he could ever be a wizard. But what Hagrid does in this scene is he reveals to Harry what's true about himself that he's a wizard. And this is wild beyond any of Harry's wildest dreams. I bring this up because the gospel reveals to us what's true about each of us if we place our faith in Jesus. And Tim Keller, he was a pastor in New York, died recently. He puts this so well. Keller says this. He says, the gospel is this. That we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope. Friends, if your faith is in Jesus, what becomes true of you is that you are loved, you are accepted, you are cherished by God. And because and because it's true that Jesus reveals to us that we're sinners and that by faith he gives us this new identity, that should, that should shape the way we see ourselves, right? And it should shape, let me put it this way, that knowing that we're sinners should drive us to be honest with our sin first, right? It should drive us to be honest with God when we sin, to confess to him, to turn from our sin, to ask God for new obedience It should cause us to be honest with one another so we can bring sin into the light. We can confess our sin to one another. We can hold each other accountable. And when we see our sin and see the forgiveness that Christ gives us, he helps us to not hide our sin anymore, but to bring it to him boldly, knowing we will be forgiven time after time. The Apostle John says that, let me read this for you. I don't want to I don't want to mess mess this up. If you look at 1 John chapter 1, flip there if you've got it. 1 John chapter 1, the apostle says this, if we confess our sins, he, being Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If your faith is in Jesus, you can see your sin and confess it, knowing that Jesus time and time again will forgive you. And that's really good news. It's good news because when we know the forgiveness found in Christ, it also affects the way we deal with our own sin and our own failures. Because sin still dwells in us on this side of heaven, we're always going to be fighting it. And as Christians, when we sin, our reaction is to beat ourselves up. It's to make ourselves low before we feel like we can confess our sin. But our forgiveness isn't conditional. It's not conditional as to what we do. But Jesus has already accomplished our forgiveness. So we can freely ask God for forgiveness without having to beat ourselves up. But instead, we can remind ourselves that the forgiveness offered to us by Jesus is free. So Psalm 120 it gives us an invitation to see ourselves and our world clearly. But more than that, it's an invitation to see those things clearly and to see the love that God has for us and to begin the journey of following Him. And this is an invitation to you, maybe even for the first time, to see that you are actually a sinner, to see that you break God's law every day in thought, in word. And indeed, we all do that, right? It's an invitation to see that you love the things that God doesn't love. But at the same time, this is an invitation for you to see Jesus who came to earth from heaven to follow God's law perfectly and to take the punishment you deserve, right? It's an invitation to see Jesus who gives us the merit of his perfect obedience when we place our faith in him, right? And if that speaks to you, if that hits you at all, and you're like, I don't know what to do with that, my invitation to you is this, come back this semester. And as we look at the Psalms of Ascents and look at what it means to follow Jesus, I just hope you'll join us with that. So friends, we'll land the plane here. The journey of following Jesus, it begins when we see that the things in our world, the things in our own heart, pale in comparison to the beauty of Jesus and to the joy of the gospel. So my invitation is to: see, we need to see ourselves clearly. So let's see ourselves, let's see our world clearly so we can see the beauty of Jesus and so we can begin this journey of following him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We know that it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I ask that tonight... As we continue our time together, as we go back to our dorm rooms and our apartments, that you would take this word, you drive it into our hearts that we might see Jesus as more good, as more believable, more beautiful, more true. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and stand and we'll continue singing.